we might have a soundtrack of barking dogs. I don't know how long that's going to last. <laughs> okay, sunny day. Here we go. Uh, you are the only one who's volunteered so far. So I'm going to go ahead and allow you to talk. And then there we go. All right. Give it a Hello. go. Hey. Hi. How are you? Hi. I am crazy. How are you? <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm awesome. So lay it on me. That's crazy. so great. <laughs> um, so obviously you have some of the updates by email, but I'll just say them here for anyone who's been um, following the saga. Um, mm-hmm. So my group was purchased out of bankruptcy um, by a national organization. Um so right now I'm negotiating this terrible contract with them. Um, now, the good news is, and I don't know if they're just saying this to get me to stay, but um, one of their young surgeons wants me to be my practice's representative to the board. Um, so I'm hoping if if he is serious about that and the board agrees that maybe it'll give me um, the ability to make things a little bit better in the practice. Um the good news is they have told the senior partner that now that we're part of this group, we're essentially merging with like another group in the area, mm-hmm. um, that everyone has to play nice in the sandbox and he can't do the nonsense he's done um, the last 40 years, including pushing me around. Um, so cautiously optimistic about that. Um, yeah. I did finally go ahead and get a bankruptcy attorney and my group is doing shady stuff trying to not um pay employees and um somehow they've like hidden it from the bankruptcy court so they have no idea because it's illegal what they're doing um Mm -hmm. so we'll see if i get to recover any of the tens of thousands of dollars they owe me Mm -hmm. um but the good news is i can stay in this group and i can take my boards and then i can like decide what i want to do with my life um yes i mean let's just pause right there because um Board certification is critical. I think we could all agree that it's it's that step that it's like that last little piece of the puzzle that needs to fall into place. And um, particularly for these these boards, there are all these restrictions around when you can take them and how long you have to take them and stuff like that. So this is very, very important, right? Like very important that you're getting to go forward with your boards, correct? Absolutely. And if we're keeping the end goal in mind, that is the end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. One thing I did want to mention, uh, because again, like women, we don't talk about money enough. Um, yeah. I had spoken to the young physicians in the other group that we're merging with. They told me what was in their contract, how much they get paid. So I'm basically going to be the only female with like 20 men. Um, how much they get paid, what their bonus is. Um, and they basically told me, ask for everything that we have in our contracts. Um, yeah. And one of them said that he convinced, because their group was also bought out by this national organization um, right before they were supposed to be partners too. Mm-hmm. And so one of them said that he had the group pay for his attorney to negotiate the contract. And I said, how did you do that? Isn't that a, like a conflict of interest for them? He's like, I don't care. I just asked them. And yeah. as a female, I feel like I'm pretty good at asking but when he said that, I said, I might be good, but I'm definitely not as good as these guys. So I asked this group, I said, I understand that you cover um, 
attorney's fees for this contract. Will you extend that to me as well? Um, and they said yes. Um, and it is good because <laughs> my attorney told me the contract looks like it was written by a 12-year-old and not an actual attorney. So it's going to be like pricey going back and forth. Um, yeah. So you know what? Don't ever hesitate to ask. Just make them say no. Yeah. That's awesome. Yay. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so what I wanted, so unfortunately not all as well. I wish it was and that just like fixed the problem. But yeah. what I wanted to talk about today is how to deal with staff that are behaving like children. Mm-hmm. Um, so about two months ago when we closed our second office, um, you know, our office manager there, our secretary there had to struggle to, you know, they struggled to find jobs somewhere else. And I went, and this is the the office manager that I've had like tiffs with, but mm-hmm. her strengths are really strong. So I just like play, play to her strengths and she's been very helpful with that. So I went to the senior partner. I said, you're stupid. If you let her go, she's got so much institutional knowledge. She's really ethical. She'll make sure nothing funny is happening. Because at that time, our old practice manager was still here. And I'm still convinced that he has stolen money from the group. Mm-hmm. And he poo-pooed me. He said we have to down, you know, uh, decrease our staff. He sent her a very rude email asking what she contributes to the practice. And then as she quit, I said, listen, I'm so sorry. I tried to keep you. But he said no. Then as she's quitting, she sends him an email and says, you will never be successful with so-and-so in charge of the practice. So he and his wife sat down with her. And after that, they decided to keep her on as like the clinical manager. Mm-hmm. And then the day she was announced as the manager, our previous practice manager quit, like put in his reg- resignation. Thank God. So I thought, great, things are going to be great. We're on each other's side. Um, with this promotion, I've essentially helped her double her salary too. And it'll just be great all around. And what has happened is that I feel in this role that she has essentially turned on me. I know that up until now, I wasn't the boss. Um, So now with this merger, me and the senior partner are the same. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's he's no longer like in charge of our office. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I understand that at that point, you know, she has to cater to what he needs, because he was the owner of the group. Um, But we've been having some issues with our medical assistants. One of them in particular has been allowed to be very lazy for the year and a half he's been here. And it didn't used to matter because he worked with the PAs, so he never really affected the doctors. Mm -hmm. But all the PAs are gone. Um, He comes to work. He clocks in. He sits either at our surgery center, which is closed, or he hides in the bathroom. And he, I mean, if I have like a 25-patient clinic, he'll maybe room two patients. And then he dumps all the work on my lead MA and one of the other MAs. Um, And an issue came to head when he did not contact a patient I had asked him to, or he claims he did, he didn't document. And I said, you know, that this is standard procedure. You need to document because the patient's saying that you never called her when you said you are. And I went to our now clinical manager and I said, Hey, he's not doing what he's supposed to. He's running away. He's, um, not putting in patient cases, you know, he's a liability. And my MA has been seriously looking for other jobs because she's our lead MA. He doesn't respect her. And actually that day when he yelled at me in front of patients in my own clinic, one of the other MAs quit because she said, this is so unprofessional. He's yelling at the physician and no one's like reprimanding him. Mm -hmm. Um, So I texted the senior partner and I said, hey, just so you know, my MA, who again has the most knowledge of anyone who's there now, because we've lost so much staff, 
she's going to quit because this issue is going on. I've gone to the clinical manager. She's defending this other person. I don't think it's right. And he's like not really answering me, um, which is typical for him. Then I asked him for a meeting to talk about the bankruptcy and the merger. And he essentially ambushed me and turned it into a meeting between me, the clinical manager, and the financial director on, quote, how I talk to the staff. And, you know, I said, you know, if I'm going to ask someone to do something four times or they're not responding to me, I'm going to have to respond to them in like a certain way. It's affecting my patients. Um, He undermined me in front of both of them, um, basically said, you need to listen to them. They have more experience. And I thought, well, if the experience matters, why did our second office like fail so spectacularly? Can Um, you can you clarify something? Because I just got a little bit confused. Okay, so yeah. The, um, the practice manager, this woman who you, um, advocated for is now the practice manager and you guys were in good, on good terms, but now Mm -hmm. you're not correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the senior partner, who's not going to be the senior partner once the merger goes through is the guy who ambushed you and said that you guys needed to talk about how you talk to the staff. Correct. Mm-hmm. Do I have the yes. players correct. Yes. And that was with her as well. That was with her as well. And our financial director who okay. I don't even know how she's involved in this at all. I mean, she just came over from our billing office. She had been in the clinic for like a week and does nothing clinical. Okay. Um, Okay, continue. I was just getting confused on who the players Yeah. Okay, so continue. Lots of players, as (laughs) always, in this, like, saga. Um, And, you know, things happened during the meeting where he allowed her to interrupt me, but if I interrupted her, he would loudly tell me to stop. And, like, again, because I – the merger was about – I didn't know this, but the, like, merger was about to go through, but I didn't know, right? So, obviously, I'm worried about my job. So I didn't say anything to him when he spoke to me like that, because now that we're equal, I'd be like, you don't get to talk to me like that either. I'm not your resident. But anyway, long story short, she had said, she said to me several times, like over two years, you've talked to me like I'm a child. You talk to the staff member like a child. And I said, well, he hasn't responded to me twice when I'm calling him into your office. So if someone's not doing it, they're behaving like a child. They're not responding. That's not very professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I was very ambushed by this. So I think I was like more defensive instead of like thinking maybe more critically about this. So afterwards I thought, okay, she has said this to me multiple times that I've talked to her like she's a child, that I've talked to other staff like a child. What is it that I'm doing here? Um, Cause they're saying it's not my tone. It's not necessarily volume. It's like my tone. And I said, well, okay. if I'm after asking to do something seven times or like four times and like patient cares falling through the crack, how else should I speak? But I thought about it like a couple days later and I said, I think the reason I'm like talking to them like their children is because they're actually behaving like children. The first time mm-hmm. she said this was in my very first clinic um, when I just started this job in, you know, in the office she was at. And I asked her to come into the room with me to learn how I do things. And mm-hmm. she threw an actual tantrum outside the patient's room refused to come in. I had to bring her into my office to like calm her down and find out what the issue was. Um, And same thing here. Every time I'm asking for something for my patients, and this is not anything different I've done over the past two years, the answer is always no. Like we have all new staff. 
the answer is always no, no, you can't do this. No, we're not going to do this. You know, we don't want to, we're too short staffed or whatever. And when I'm asking this MA to show up and do the job that he's paid for, you know, I've sacrificed paychecks so he can get paid. He's -hmm. just refusing to do it. So mm-hmm. I said, I think the issue is I'm talking to them. I, the, the the office when I first started was an attitude of yes. Yes. How can we get it done? Now yeah. everything's a no. Um, okay. This new group has told me how they run the clinic. And I tried that in my clinic and it was really good. But I found out that that uh, manager went to the staff and said, this is not going to work. We're just going to do it for the afternoon. And then you can go back to doing whatever you want. And I was like, why would you say that? This new group's going to make us do it this way. So They did tell me that, you know, they will weed out the bad staff, just give them like a few weeks to a few months for them to like clean up everything because our practice needs so much work on their end. So in the meantime, to protect my sanity, I just want to figure out how do I deal with staff that are children? Because I used to love clinic. I used to love seeing my patients. Like even when things didn't work well, it was still fine. Um, But now it's like every day is such a drag and I hate it. Yeah, this is good. Okay, so. Just to clarify again, the everything's kind of going to work itself out because the new management is in the town and they are going to like basically overhaul everything. You just have to kind of like keep your head above water until that happens. That's what they're telling me. However, an hour later, the manager came and told all the staff, hey, all our jobs are safe. They're not firing anyone. So I don't know who they're telling the truth to. Um. Well, this is a, I mean, I'm guessing now that this is like a pretty serious for-profit organization and they're not yes. going to fuck around. My, that's my guess. Yes. Their so. um, surgeons do double the volume of our surgeons. Yeah. So for it to make sense for them, I mean, and this is not their first rodeo and Mm -hmm. I bet you it's not the first time they've had to go, um, you know, figure out something that was basically in the turlet and needs to be completely overhauled. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just guessing, but it just kind of sounds that way based on the way you described, like the power with which they came in and kind of absorbed your group. Yeah. Okay. So, and like, you know, no harm in just giving, you know, doing what they said and letting, letting time pass and seeing if that really happens. It's not like you're going to lose anything. So let's focus on keeping you a sane person for the next couple of weeks (laughs) and doing your job with excellence, which I know is one of your core values. Yep. And, um, You know, during the meeting, one of the things she said to me was, you expect too much. And I said, I expect excellent patient care. And previously the staff could do it and now they couldn't. Are you suggesting that I come down to the staff's level of patient care? Because that's not practice. Yeah. And what happened when you said that? (laughs) Um, She just said, like, because she said my specialty is, or my subspecialty is, too complicated. And I said, it's too complicated for you because you never made an effort to learn it. She had a really good relationship with a junior partner. It was Rocky like mine. And then I don't know what happened, but they were able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, she did like great in his clinic, whereas she was, she would prevent me and one of the other physicians from like seeing more patients. She would do whatever he said. Um, so I said, you just chose not to learn how to do it. So that's on you. 
I love how you just tell it like it is. <laughs> so well, if you're going to sit there it. and ambush me and like demean me in front of like non-peers, yeah. I'm going to fight back. <laughs> yeah. And if your commitment to excellent patient care is as strong as it sounds like it is, then I guarantee you that this new group is going to come down on your side of things. Like there's no yeah. way they're going to side. They're going to like deal with people who are wasteful and not doing their job, you know? Yeah. I mean, their actual group sounds like my ideal group. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's going to work like in our location because they're an hour away from us, but you know, yeah. we could try. Yeah. Okay. So interesting that you are bringing this particular, um, issue up because I was just listening to a podcast today, this morning, that was really, really good. And it was another Huberman podcast. And he interviewed Chris Voss, who we all know wrote Never Split Mm -hmm. the Difference. You know, it's like room one's favorite book. It's like our textbook for surgeon survival guide, women's surgeon survival guide. Um, And let me tell you the episode, because there was some really, really good advice about communication. Um, It was the October 2nd. So for everybody who's listening, um, I'll hold, I can post this too. I can post a link. I think, I think I can do that. But anyway, it's, I don't know if you can see that it's that October 2nd, how to succeed at hard conversations. And um, anyway, one of Chris Voss's techniques is using the, his late night DJ voice. Mm-hmm. When he's, you know, does when he's having a hostage negotiation or really any negotiation, but this is an actual technique that's very effective. And Huberman goes on to explain the neuroscience behind it, which I thought was really fascinating. So if part of the issue is the way in which you're communicating and you're speaking to people like their children, the first thing I would ask is, is there any truth to that? And it sounds like there is because you said yourself, mm-hmm. they're acting like kids. And so of course I'm going to treat them like kids. Yeah. Um, so you could take a look at that and think, okay, well, is that working? Mm-hmm. If it is no. great. And if it isn't, maybe consider not engaging that communication style. I know, I know why we do it. Cause we all do. Right. Um, and then Otherwise, see if you can practice slowing down and decreasing the frequency of like the tone. Um, And I mean like the actual tone, not like the Mm -hmm. implied tone, like the actual like frequency of your voice. Um, I don't know the terms. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. And like to lower the, you know, like I'm talking up high in a higher register versus like lowering down into a lower mm-hmm. register. And it takes a little practice and it feels funny, but slowing down and lowering that um, tone, apparently there are neurons that um, will match the frequency. So when you're speaking to somebody, like it's an obligate reaction that their brain starts to fire or some specific neurons in one part of the brain, which I can't remember what they said it was, start to fire in that frequency and it automatically calms them down. 
which is so fascinating. I think that's amazing. Like what an amazing tool to have at our disposal when we need people to fucking listen, you know? And the natural default reaction is to kind of get ramped up, to spin up. Mm -hmm. And that's when our, the pitch rises and the cadence rises and all that stuff rises. But what's really effective is when we can slow it down and make it lower and go, you know what I'm saying? And I just think Mm -hmm. it would be fun to try. Wouldn't it be fun to try with your people and see if they start responding to it you. would it would I don't have a lot of self-control with that because I get so angry <laughs> I yeah think. I mean so I, mean, I would definitely try it it's a skill right it's a skill to practice and one that maybe a lot of us could really benefit from women I think are accused of having tone problems so frequently mm-hmm. um because yeah. I don't know it's the social conditioning thing um but there is a way to speak that's inviting and there's a way to speak that's repellent and that doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman we've all experienced it and if there is that technique available it would be worth trying and so simple just to slow down and engage he calls it the late night DJ, I think late night FM DJ voice. I'm thinking like Fraser mm-hmm. Crane, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely worth trying. Um, you know, I think part of it is I get really frustrated because when I have to ask over and over, I'm micromanaging and I don't want to do that because I feel like it's taking a lot of my mental energy and yeah. I have like no energy when I come back from clinic. I never, I've never been like this before. Um, I mean, even just now, like an hour ago, I checked and um, a patient had left me a message about something I had asked an MA to call her about preemptively yesterday. So, you know, you've talked about like the thought bubbles in the past. Mm -hmm. If you were to like look at my thought bubble, it would be she's really frustrated because I just feel like I have to ask you to do things over and over and over while I'm like trying to conserve my energy from this practice. Um and, you know, we're the least busy we've ever been because obviously, like, we lost all our physicians. Um, and so it's not like they're inundated with work. There's not a lot of work. And so when they're asked to do something, they're just not doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure. And, you know, with our old manager, he never took care of anything. But at least the behavior, the response was the same. Like, no one got in trouble. Here, she's protecting him. And then, like, affecting the other staff, you know, because they're doing extra work. And one thing that I've actually said to her is that I think she treats the females differently than the males. Um, I don't think she would ever talk to a male physician the way she talks to me. And Mm -hmm. she like shits all over our female MAs who like run circles around this guy. Are they having an affair? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I'm just asking. It's, it's, you know what's really weird, though, is she never liked him. Because she's, you know, again, the work she does do, she's a hard worker. She's not like a great MA, but she's so good at admin stuff. And mm-hmm. she's a really hard worker. She hates lazy staff. She has never liked him. But now, all of a sudden, like, she comes to this office and they're obsessed with each other in mm. the face of, like, him, frankly, not doing the things he's supposed to do. And I had texted her on... Monday morning, I said, hey, let's continue doing clinic this way. It went really well. Guess what? He was nowhere to be found. Um, And I'm fairly certain it's like, come from her. Eh, Don't listen to her. 
So I feel like since she's come, because she's behaved like a toddler, that it's like kind of trickling down to the other staff as this is acceptable behavior. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe. And that's the other thing to consider is, you know, the things we talk about is all kind of like the superficial details, but there's always mm-hmm. something going on beneath the surface. And it's like trying to figure out well, what's really going on here. And my guess is, is that there's something really going on here underneath all of this activity at the surface that has not been revealed yet. Um, so in an effort to keep your sanity moving forward, um, I think, you know, focusing on the things that we have in our immediate control can be useful. And it's like, all right, uh, one of the things that I like to do is just say, okay, well, how could they be right? It -hmm. helps me to not be so entrenched in my own thinking So I'll ask, okay, how could they be right? And at least opens me up to consider another point of view. And then maybe the answer is they're not right. Like maybe it's still a no for all of that, but at least taking that stance opens you up and it creates um, a more like open and inviting atmosphere emanating from you. Because right now my, I suspect that that they feel like uh tension ten- exactly they feel tension mm-hmm. oh i'm sure they do yeah which isn't going to help and mm-hmm. so that's something to consider to do um the well let's set this up on a piece of paper and see if we can get some concrete things that everybody can learn from um So I like to use the dream, the dream analogy or not analogy, an acronym. Gosh, I must not be working enough because (laughs) I can't speak. (laughs) Okay. So detach from the, detach from the situation. And that's where you kind of take the observer view. And then regulate yourself. This I think would be helpful for you because you have admitted that you get angry really fast. Mm -hmm. And if your nervous system is getting heightened and spinning up, it would be really, really good to have some quick go-to things to calm yourself down. So it would be things that will help decrease your sympathetic tone and increase your parasympathetic tone. Like, physiologic sigh, um, tactical breathing, etc. Hopefully you have one or two things that work for you that you can do in a pinch. I hum. Um, I do breathing a lot. And what was I doing the other day when I got really frustrated? I was in the operating room and I was doing a really, really hard case. And I just had to step away. Oh, yeah. I said, I need to step out. I said, I need to pee. And I left. I, I asked the anesthesiologist, I was like, would it be okay with you if I went to the bathroom really quickly? It'll just take a couple minutes. And he was like, yeah, no problem. 
everybody in the room was okay. Nothing bad was happening. I was just frustrated with, um, I was doing a hemi arthroplasty and a hip and it felt unstable. And I had tried all these different things to make it stable. And like, I was reaching the end of my rope with all the things that I know to do to make it stable. And I'm like feeling myself ramp up. Like I feel it happening. Like I'm starting to get panic welling up because I'm like out in the middle of nowhere with no help. Like there's not people that can just come in. Although I did call anyway. So what I did was, is I just, I took a deep breath. I looked at everybody. I just said, Hey, would it be okay if I just went to the bathroom really quickly? And he said, yeah, no problem. And so I did. And I like, I wiped my face down. I did my tactical breathing and the breathing that will help your parasympathetic tone is if your exhale is longer than your inhale. So it's very mm-hmm. simple. Nothing. It doesn't really matter as long as the exhale is longer than the inhale. I got a drink of water. I went to the bathroom and breathed and I just walked and it was literally no more than two minutes and then scrubbed back in. And even that like scrubbing back in felt better too, because now like I had fresh gloves. I wasn't, my hands weren't so like wet and macerated feeling and, you know, like a new gown, a new hood, a new everything. And I was, it was just very refreshing. And I was like, okay, let's keep going. I think we need to call Dr. Barry. Let's get him on the phone, you know, blah, blah, blah. And everything was fine. It ended up being fine. I tell that story as an example to let you know that like, unless the patient's actively dying and even probably when that's happening too, you have the ability to do something to help get your nervous system in better, under better control. Okay. Then the next thing is E, which is externalize. And I love this one because so much of our experience is focused on like us, like me, 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 what's good for me, what's good for me, what's good for me, which is normal. It's totally human. And when we're in that default mode of survival, it's necessarily egocentric. It's necessarily emotion-based because- your body's trying to protect itself. So like it's necessarily focused inward. But once that prefrontal cortex comes online after you get yourself calmed down, then you can take a moment and be like, all right, who are the players here? You can identify the people on the team and start to think about what it is that they really want. Like what's really going on here? What is it that they really want? What's really a good outcome for everybody? Start to like externalize your thinking about the whole thing. And then A is analyze, which is really nothing more than triaging what to do and when. So yours, you know, the players are the MAs and this lady, the office manager. Who else is on the team? Um, We might as well put the senior partner on there because... um... He doesn't care about disciplining anyone or firing anyone. Well, it's a good thing it's not his job anymore. (laughs) I know. Um, He did actually say that because this MA is much better in his clinic. And my MA even said to me like, oh, we want to impress him. And I was like, why don't you guys want to impress me? Um, So he did acknowledge during this, you know, uh, this meeting that, you know, it's possible that he's behaving differently in my clinic, to which my response was fine. Don't have him come into work the days I'm in clinic. Yeah, you can save some money. 
well, no one's taking me up on that offer. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, we might as well throw him in there. Cause I feel like the culture is the way it is because it starts from the top. Yeah. Okay. So then we analyze in triage, like what needs to happen first? First, we need to stop the bleeding. So in this instance, like what's the bleeding? Is it your energy? Is it, um, is it like bad patient care? Like what's the immediate thing that needs to be rectified? Um, I would say it's the energy. I mean, it's affecting patient care, but it's like minor, like nothing crazy happened from it and mm-hmm. nothing crazy was going to happen from it. It was just, I had to intervene yet again. Okay. So yes, we'll say my energy is the hemorrhage. Okay. So energy is the hemorrhage. So what do we need to do in order to stop that hemorrhage? Well, that's where these things come into play. Like you can do your late night DJ voice. Um, you know, like you can prioritize what I think we all kind of have a practice pattern where we just kind of know how to get through the day. We know how to prioritize stuff for the day. And there are times when I was working in private practice where I'd be like, I have 15 things on this list, but if I only get like these two things done, it's going to be a win for me today. And for somebody like you, who is probably more dedicated to excellence than I am in that regard, like (laughs) excellence and executing everything you had set up for the day, um, it might be time to give yourself a little grace to like not be excellent sometimes. I know that's probably a little bit difficult to hear. Um, You know, someone actually pointed out to me, like not, not at work, but that maybe I'm like over invested in my patients. Cause like when I hear stories of like what doctors are doing, you know, how they're responding to like friends and family, I'm like, geez, that's not how I run my practice. And someone actually said like, you might just be over invested. I mean, it's something to consider. It's something to consider. Mm -hmm. It's like there's excellence and then there's maybe like, um, what would be the right way to, I'm looking for something very precise to put a fine point on this, like obsessively excellent or something like that, like indicating like a, something that kind of tips from like awesome into maybe mm-hmm. an unhealthy territory. Yeah. Um, that's actually how I was trained. I mean, where I did residency in my first fellowship, they are not only they're excellent surgeons, they're excellent doctors. So, so it also, I trained in like a very litigious area. So they kind of had to be like that. Um, but I think part of it is that just was ingrained in me for all those years. Yeah. And I don't think that there's a problem with that because excellence is wonderful, but there's excellence and then there's perfection. And one thing, yeah. one thing I think is very healthy and very noble And then there's another thing that's just going to take you down and Mm -hmm. only, you know what that is. So maybe give yourself some grace and then not only give it to you, but maybe give it to them too, because this is a tumultuous time. Things have been like all over the place. They don't fucking understand your job. Of course they don't. They couldn't. Nobody can unless they're doing Mm -hmm. your job. And 
things have been upside down in this practice, like I, I, it's mind boggling. Some of the stories that you've told us. (laughs) So, you know, like just a little bit of grace around just to hang for a couple weeks while this new group comes in and tries to clean things up really doesn't cost you anything energetically. Yeah, I guess I'm just not sure how I give that to them when like they have to be told to do the same thing four times. Like, you know, sometimes my MA, because she does like so much, she's literally carrying the entire load in her clinic. I'll give her a break because I know she's doing the best she can. But like this dude who's like hiding out in the bathroom for an hour, I was like, how can I give him a break when he's not doing anything? Here's how I do it. Um, I will be like, huh, something must be going on here. I don't really understand. And I'll make shit up that I know is not true, but I'll make shit up. I do this when I'm driving all the time. And, um, I live in California, so you drive everywhere. And when my husband's driving, it's a nightmare because he has no (laughs) patience. He yells, he's a very aggressive driver. He, he was a pilot for his day job. And he thinks because he was a pilot, like he's like this epic driver (laughs) and it's terrifying and he's so aggressive and he has road rage, but I'm not like that. Like I'm so chill in the car and it's just calm and peaceful in the car, but it's the same people around us. Like it could be the same day, same time of day and same circumstances. And I'm like, totally fine. And the reason why is because I make shit up about everybody around me. I'll be like, huh, something must be really bad happening in their life for them to be driving right now, like a complete maniac. Or this person probably has diarrhea and that's why they're (laughs) needing to get over five lanes of traffic with no blinker. Like I just am amusing myself and I don't suffer at all because I'm just making stuff up. So that's a technique I would use if I was with this guy. I'd be like, wow, something must be going on with this guy. Like he must have a really small penis because he has a very <laughs> hard time speaking to me. He has a very hard time working with me. And what a little man. It must really fucking suck for him. And it just helps me like that kind of sarcastic humor helps me give people grace because they didn't earn it. That okay. I mean, grace can't be earned. Your, your MA that works so hard, you cut her slack, but she earns it. Mm-hmm. But it. Giving grace is different. It's people don't earn it. You give it freely. And I do that by making shit up. So anyway, it's you know funny. I, I actually do. I actually do that same thing in the car. My uh, baseline response is maybe his wife's in labor. Yeah, that's exactly right. But like, just, it takes literally three seconds to kind of, to do that. And then you're not the one who's suffering and letting your energy literally drain out of you like a sieve because of the traffic being crazy. Whereas my husband, it's like, I think he's going to have a freaking heart attack. Like his blood pressure must be elevated. He gets veins popping out on his face and his neck. And I'm thinking to myself, this is really stupid. This is like unnecessary completely. But anyway, because all of this too, we're talking about a Band-Aid right now because we just mm-hmm. need to tread water. It's that survival float thing. You need to do that survival float thing for a couple weeks while this new group comes in and cleans everything up. Yeah. Um, now that we're talking, I think my 
bigger concern. So I wouldn't really, pay, I never paid attention to him, right? He's been here for like a year and a half. I never paid attention to him. Mm-hmm. I think the issue is, is that the other MAs, are, including mine, are coming to me and saying, hey, we're seriously looking for other jobs because we can't keep working like this where it's just us and not him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how I've gotten involved because, you know, listen, my MA is definitely burnt out. She's definitely not as good as she was when she first started, but yeah. she's way better than anybody else we have. So I feel like I've taken this on because I'm trying to protect her. And now I've become the bad guy. Um, Because quite frankly, if he's not in my clinic, I don't notice because he he doesn't do a very good job. Well, he can do a good job. He has glimpses of it. Um, But I think the issue is because they're so frustrated and they're coming to me that I'm like, hold on, we can't have good people quit for this lazy guy. Well, then again this is an opportunity for you to rise up and be a leader. And I, it sounds like that's what you're going to get recognized for. If it's true that, hold on, I wrote it down. They're going to put me on the board. Yeah. So it's true. I hope they're not lying. Just to get me to sign that contract. I don't see why they would. I mean, maybe they are, but you can act like somebody who belongs on the board. And this yeah. is how you do it. You be a leader in the situation where all these people are coming to you and it's not unusual for people to come to the woman, by the way, um, yeah. the woman is usually the glue. And it's just like, okay, guys, like, I know this is really hard right now. It's been tough on everybody. You guys probably feel like your lives are flipping upside down. We just need to hang in there for a few more weeks until the dust settles. It's like, or something along those lines. It's like, hey, I've got your backs. Um, like, how can you have their backs, but at the same time, just kind of do like survival float? Yeah, so I've actually been telling them that the more information I get about what the plan is. Um, and I've told them, I said, if you can just hang on, we're going to have separate teams. And you guys, you know, if you choose to stay, you can stay on my team. And if he chooses to stay, he will not be on my team and you don't have to deal with him. Yeah. Um. So I've been doing some of that. Um, but yeah, I definitely need to not get road ragey and clinic and lose my energy. Yeah. And then the last thing is just the M, which is then move, move on, like, or move forward with the noble purpose. And that is where you start to execute these things. So you execute your plan with the noble purpose. And what that means is, is that you execute it not only for yourself, but for the sake of everybody else on the team. It's like when we do things as an act of service, people can feel it. It has a residue. It hasn't, it creates an atmosphere. When we do things for self-serving reasons, even if we're justified, people notice and it creates an atmosphere. People don't like Mm -hmm. that. But when you're acting from, up from a place of service to people on your team, which is going to be good for you and them, people will feel it. It's just, it's the way the human animals sense and smell each other. It's kind of like National Geographic. So hopefully um, Yeah. So if I'm understanding this correctly, I'm not attempting to change his behavior right now. I'm more, well, I mean, I know we talk coaching can't, change someone's behavior, even if you pay them to work for you and then they don't do anything. Um, We're more changing, like, you know, making up this story about him when he's hiding for an hour and then trying to be a leader with the rest of the staff and say, Hey, you know, 
just forget about him. Let's just do what we need to do for a few weeks. Yeah. And honestly, like he, he doesn't really even need to be an issue because if, if he's not doing his job and this team is coming in to take over, chances are the guy's not going to last. Yeah. We don't know for certain, but it's not going to serve anybody right now to stir the pot. Yeah. You don't and that's what I want to be guy. careful of. Yeah. You, you don't have to um, be the bad guy. It's just kind of like, you know yeah. what? We, it's, we just, we need to keep, keep our eyes focused on the one thing that matters here, which is patient care and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and then obviously I've said this, it's like frustrating to me that I've sacrificed paychecks for these people. And then I have to sit there and like control how I react to them not yeah. working while I'm not getting paid, but you know, yeah. I can't, I can't really do anything about that. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard to know if that would serve any purpose at this point. Like, do they even know? Oh, they um, know. They just don't care. Hmm. Because, I mean, think about it, right? If you're an employee and you're just getting your paycheck, who cares what's happening? Like, and that's what I had told the senior partner and like months, oh, actually both partners, like months ago, I said, listen, I'm an employee, but by not paying me, you've given me a partner's problem. Um, Because if I've been paid this entire time, I don't care what's happening with the group, right? Like you're filing for bankruptcy, but I'm getting a paycheck. Who cares? So Mm -hmm. I think for them, they know the group is in shambles, but they're getting paid and they're getting they're getting paid a lot for like the amount of work they're not doing. Um, and so I think they're just like in for the ride, seeing how long they can get away with this for. You know what? Maybe they are. And yeah. like more power to them, I guess, like get a paycheck. You know for what? Crying out loud. I, I can kind of see why they would want to do that. <laughs> you know what? I wish when I was 24 that I was that smart. <laughs> So that's funny because like even saying a comment like that, you can kind of then just develop like a little bit of like softness for their humanity, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I've said, I said, I wish I was as ballsy as they were when I was 24. I would never talk to like someone more senior like that. Even now I don't, right. I'm getting yelled at by the senior partner, but because he's senior, I'm like not saying anything back to him. Yeah. Well, we'll, good good for them. (laughs) We are looking forward to the next installment of what it looks like. I'm imagining like a zombie wasteland and like an apocalypse happens. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) like new, new things start sprouting out of the cracks and the wasted earth in your practice. Once this new group comes in and overhauls everything. And I can't wait to hear how it turns out. I hope so. I mean, one of the surgeons in the other group said that they didn't really impact their clinic and he thought they were pretty inept um, because they only care about surgery centers and nothing else. And I said, listen, you don't understand what our clinic is like. There's no way where to go but up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. So I hope that this Well, thank you. I will try these things. No problem. Yes, for sure. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay. Alrighty. So we have about 10 more minutes. And uh, if anybody else has anything they want coaching on, that is great. But if you don't, then I want to tell you about a little development um, 
excuse me. So I'm going to, um, so I'm going to just like wax poetic here for a second. So if anybody has anything they want coaching on, please raise your hand and just stop me. But I have been working on getting a board certification in lifestyle medicine. So this is how it's all gone down. I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and I took care of kids with osteogenesis imperfecta. And that's a bone um, fragility disorder is complicated, but the long and short of it is, is now I'm doing this new job that I absolutely love where I go away from my house for like seven days in a row. And I do acute care orthopedic surgery out in this beautiful little town in Northern California in the base of the Sierra, um, in the Sierra foothills. It's like my dream, dream location and dream job. And I love it. It's so wonderful. But these patients are elderly patients, so originally taking care of people in their early aspects of life, and now I'm taking care of people at the end of life, but the problems are quite similar because their bone all sucks, and it's freaking me out. And in orthopedics, we're, we have this um, campaign to own the bone as orthopedic surgeons, which I've always thought was kind of dumb because it's such a dynamic organ that why would the orthopedic surgeon need to own it? It needs to be like a multidisciplinary team that owns it. Anyway, long story short is I've done this foray into lifestyle medicine, looking for practical ways in which I can help patients own their bone. And also so I can be as healthy as I can be. And also so I can offer these techniques and this information to surgeons so that they can be as healthy as they can be. And anyway, in this whole process, two or three weeks ago, I think it was, is I had one of those light bulb moments that it, it, like when these things happen, it's just like everything is all of a sudden clarified and your life has changed. Like it's like once it's happened, you can't go back. So now I need to tell you a little bit of a different part of the story, um, which has to do with me and my body and my relationship with my body and weight loss and all this stuff. So uh, like most women, I've had sort of a contentious relationship with my own body, like since uh, mid high school and have done every diet on the planet in under the guise of I'm a scientist and I like to experiment with myself and see how things look. But the truth of it is, is I just always wanted to be thin. And I always was until I had a baby 10 years ago and I gained like 65 pounds during my pregnancy and had a really, really hard time losing it afterwards. So then afterwards, it was a bunch of like self-flagellation and beating up and a lot of deprivation and blah, 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 trying to lose weight. And it's so fascinating how we as people face weight loss challenges. And then also as physicians and surgeons, we're dealing with the complications that are associated with the overfed but undernourished state. And I was listening to a TED talk the other day by Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who's a family medicine doctor and geriatrician and muscle scientist, who said, obesity is not the problem. Sarcopenia is the problem. And I was like, wait, what? And we are like obsessed as a society about the fat, about having too much fat, but we're not really talking as a society about not having enough muscle and muscle is the body's armor. It's a metabolic powerhouse. It is a 
sink for glucose. It is uh, an endocrine organ because it secretes myokines. It exerts forces on the bones, which causes increase in bone mineral density. I mean, this was like, I'm getting goosebumps even just like talking about it right now. So anyway, I have just been doing this deep dive into sarcopenia for the last couple weeks, and hopefully we'll continue longer term. And the reason I wanted to share this all with you was because you might want to check it out for your own patients. If we're all dealing with issues around metabolic syndromes and bad outcomes with surgery because people are obese or overweight and um, having difficulties with counseling patients around, um, well, for me, it's like risks associated with surgery and stuff like that. Um, and I feel like in today's age that it's kind of a tricky subject to bring up with people because of body positivity. So, um, this switch flipped in my own brain. That's like, wait a second. I don't really need to worry about losing fat. I need to build muscle. Like I'm completely shifted away from fat being a problem. Now I know that's not the case for everybody, but in my brain, it has been like a complete liberation from this painful, contentious relationship that I've had with my body. And now I'm kind of like, how do I build you up? How do I build you up? And then the rest will take care of itself kind of attitude. And, um, Anyway, I'm going to like have more verbal diarrhea about it if I'm allowed to keep going, but I wanted to show you this book, Forever Strong. Um, this woman has a podcast, a YouTube channel, and um, the TED Talk, so you can get rapid information about it. But for me, for my own health, for my patient's health, I think sarcopenia and addressing the issues around sarcopenia feels so powerful and it's like something we can actually do and tackle and it's not judgmental and it's um really really beneficial and um the practical things that I'm doing personally are I'm eating um one kilo wait one gram of protein per ideal body weight so for me that's 135 grams of protein a day and uh, high quality protein. I do eat meat. It doesn't have to be done with meat, but um, there are other non-meat forms of um, or non-animal forms of protein available and resistance training at least twice a week. I've been doing it three times a week, but um, at least twice and then hit hit training for the cardio aspects of it. Um, like the science is just blowing my mind and I'm hoping that just even talking about it or starting a discussion with you guys will be intriguing enough that you could maybe think about these things in terms of patient care or even in terms of how you relate to yourself. So that is that. If there are any questions, please let me know. And I think nobody else raised her hand while I was blabbing on and on. So I guess we'll call it a night. Thank you guys so much for coming. We'll see you next time. Ooh, hold on. I did. I missed the chat. Oh, Sunny Day is asking, is there a plan for um, room one after it shuts down? There is. So I'll be starting a new group, um, I think probably towards the end of November or early December, but the plan is to have it up and running 
uh, before room one is done. And it will just be me. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what Kelly's plans are, but she has a lot of ways in which you can still consume content she puts out. Um, but I'm going to start a new group that is actually going to be less expensive and uh, in an effort to try to get people in the lower levels of training and like residents and maybe early attendings kind of getting more people in so that's not cost prohibitive. Um, yeah, so it'll be going and it'll be a very similar format, but not Kajabi because it's not a platform that any of us has really enjoyed working with. I hope that answers your question, Sunny Day. Does that um, do it for you? Hopefully. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Talk to you next time.